Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is October 27th, and it's a Thursday, and this is episode 772 of the Survival Podcast. I got a really cool show for you. I got a guy hanging on the line right now named Trevor Van Hemert, who is the founder of a company called Pedal to Pedal, which is a very cool company that's in the composting business. And they're in the composting business in a very unique way. I'll let Trevor tell you about that in just a second when I bring him on. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors and our housekeeping. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Berkey guy at directive21.com. What are you going to get from the Berkey guy? I know this might be a shocking revelation, but the Berkey guy sells Berkey water filtration systems. And again, you'll find him at directive21.com. Now, here's the thing. We all know we need water. Most of us that are in this niche, this industry, this world, that have looked at water filtration systems know that Berkey is a great product, and they have a great water filtration system. And even though there's a little bit of an upfront cost, it's one of the most cost-effective long-term solutions you could ever get. We all know they look good in our homes, and they look beautiful with their stainless steel design, and that they work great, and they make our water taste better in good times and make it drinkable and safe in bad times. So why, out of all the places you can buy a Berkey, should you go to Directive 21? Because of Jeff, that's why. Because I can tell you for a fact that Jeff's been a sponsor of the show for almost three years now, and the total number of complaints about his service is zero from the audience. And when somebody does something wrong and occasionally everybody stubs their toe, I hear about it. I've heard nothing but gl uh, glowing praises for Jeff and the way he bends over backwards to help make our customers happy. So I know that telling you you need a water filtration system is nothing new. But make sure when you decide it's time to do it, you talk to Jeff first because I know he'll take care of you. I absolutely 100% know it. And that's why I'm glad to have him as a sponsor. Again, the website is directive and the number 21.com. Next up today, shelfreliance.com. Notice I said shelf like something you put stuff on, not a yourself like you yourself. Because Shelf Reliance specializes in innovative food storage solutions that allow you to eat what you store and store what you eat. Whether you're looking at their large systems like their Harvest 72 or their smaller consolidator systems that are designed to go in your pantry or your cupboard and shockingly enough are called the pantry and the cupboard. They also have the Thrive brand of long-term storage food, some of the best long-term storage food uh, that I have ever eaten. It just tastes great. It's really high quality, great, affordable food with fast shipping and a tremendous selection, a uh, variety of selection. So check out ShelfReliance.com today for long-term storage food and great systems to store that food, whether you get it from them or you get it from your local supermarket. Next up today, remember you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And the Survival Podcast is now featured on the Prepper Podcast Radio Network. That's at PrepperPodcast.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, military, law enforcement, and Peace Corps uh, service people. 
who have either served uh, in the past or are currently serving, you can email me before you join. I will give you a special discount code so that when you sign up, you get a discount on not just your initial membership, but your recurring membership as well. It's a way to say thank you for your service. One more quick reminder before I bring our special guest on. Um, we are doing a Orson Welles-style zombie apocalypse show on Monday where it will sound like the zombies are attacking, you know, like it's live going on while I'm on the air for about an hour. It should be fun. It should be lighthearted. Some people aren't in love with the idea. I have to tell you, it took three years for me to be convinced to do it, but I think it's going to be fun. I'd love to have you participate. You can do it by an email submission, or you can call 866-65-THINK and leave a voice message as though they're attacking, and you can have gunshots or sirens or anything going on in the background you can come up with to be creative and to have fun. And remember, some of this can just be flipping funny, too. Not not all of it has to be serious as though they're really there. Any good zombie movie has a lot of humor wrapped up into it. And uh, we'll try to get your submission on the air. If you do it by phone, please email me right after you do and say, Jack, I've just left a voicemail for the zombie show, and um, the... Uh, The, the number I called from is, you know, whatever your numbers you call from. That'll help me find your call and get it into the queue and get it to be uh, edited for uh, inclusion on that show. So with that, we've got the uh, housekeeping wrapped up for the day. And let's go ahead and get on to the main topic of today's show. All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we are fortunate to have with us today Trevor Van Hemert. Hemert. I just asked him his name and I got it wrong. It's Hemert. And uh, he's a really cool guy. He set up a company called Pedal to Pedal, and it's like pedal, uh, like a bicycle to pedal, uh, like on a flower. And it's a really cool business. Um, he calls it a transition business model, by the way. We're going to be talking about that and a lot of other things. Uh, but basically, this is a business where uh, he's going around on a bicycle and delivering and picking up and utilizing compost. And we'll leave it at that for now so he can explain it to you better, but it's Absolutely awesome business model, uh, and near and dear to hearts of TSP members, both because it's a great business model and, secondly, because it's a sustainable business model and a sustainable uh, technology that he's working with with compost. So that really hits it on all four corners. Trevor, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, thanks for having me on, Jack. I, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a listener. I've been listening to you for a few months, and I'm really excited to be one of your guests. Well, I'm glad to have you here, man. Let's... Uh, Can you give people just a little bit of background on who you are and how you ended up with this business? Well, sure. I'm um, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado, and I moved to Vancouver a while back because it was a, kind of a better economy, a better place for young people to get jobs. Um, went to school for radio and ended up in agriculture school of the University of British Columbia. And there I kind of met a lot of the people behind the agriculture seen in British Columbia, and once I moved to Victoria, which is where I live now, um, and there's a lot of crossover between people moving to and from Victoria and Vancouver. They're almost like sister cities in that sense. I um, saw this person pedaling uh, with, with a bike trailer behind them with full of stinky buckets, um, Within a month, I was running that business. I, I was told that they needed a business manager, and I was running all of the aspects of that business. Um, with my experience in agriculture, with my experience in business management, with my web design business, um, I'm who they wanted. So now now it's my business. 
Um, I could talk a little bit about what what we do. Yeah, uh, let's do that. Let's t tell folks exactly what is Pedal to Pedal and what do you guys do and what's unique about what you do. Well, what's most unique about what we do is that it's entirely human-powered. So we don't use any fossil fuels. Um, it would be a hell of a lot easier if we did because those are some of the cheapest calories you can come up with in our society. But we use purely human energy on bicycles with bicycle trailers, and the trailers are where we put our five-gallon buckets full of food scraps. And once we have, uh, depending on how hardcore the cyclist is, once you have between eight or 20 or sometimes 30 buckets full of food, then we go to a compost host, is what we call them. And all they are is they donate, essentially, or trade part of the space in their backyard for um, for us to compost in. So we build our massive pallet bins, um, four feet by four feet or five feet by five feet, just huge bins, as big as we can get them and as many as we can get, because we will fill these up so quickly at this point. And what they get in exchange for that is an unlimited um, soil fertility coming out of that bin. So we don't actually make any money on selling the compost. Um, compost is actually very, very cheap. And if we were to make money uh, selling the compost, we'd make hardly any money at all. So we make almost all of our money on the pickup end. So people will pay between 5 and $8. Some people pay $10 um, for a bucket pickup. And they'll often have one of those every two weeks. So once you get up around 400, 500 customers, the business, um, well, you do the math. Hey, what's your hook? What's making these folks willing to pay you to take away their food scraps versus throw it in the trash and have the city or the county or whatever to it? Well, I guess the reason people do it is that because they believe in it. So we're, we're very much reliant on people's sense that sending all that good food scraps to the landfill is the wrong thing to do. So we deal in warm feelings, really. Um, people get no personal, people get no, I should say, people get no economic benefit from using a company like Pedal to Pedal. It's all a very personal, I'm doing the right thing, or or even, um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's all a very personal, I'm doing the right thing. Or it's something they believe in, and so they're, it's, it's, it's following my model when I've ever talked about business of selling people something they want versus what they need so that Absolutely. big boys don't kill you. <laughs> Absolutely, and we do have two very large, well, one very large uh, compost competitor, um, and another medium-sized compost competitor. We are the smallest um, compost show in this city, and yet we have the largest presence on the social networks because we have the heart of the people. So we never advertised that we had a Facebook page, um, and I personally don't care much for Facebook, but this is just an interesting fact about our company is that we have far more visitors on our Facebook page than our other two composting competitors because they they just um, take their massive trucks around and they don't have that human element like we do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of like is counterproductive. You say you're doing composting, but if you're driving around a big diesel truck, 
you're using every bit as much energy as you're supposedly saving uh, by taking stuff out of a landfill. That's absolutely true. And these folks with the trucks cart it all the way up to the Cowichan Valley, 50 miles away, over a mountain range, and come <laughs> back with empty trucks. So we're the only folks that are composting. We're right in the city for city use. Much of it goes to city farmers um, in Victoria, and a lot of it goes to city gardens. So it's just a real localized, distributed model that that is what the people want and the people need right now. That's that's what they're looking for is 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 a company like that. Well, in I guess it sounds like these your competitors are exporting the commodity where you're keeping the commodity local. That's right. And you just used a very interesting word. You know, my background in technology uh, with computer network testing. There's a, a a type of testing equipment you put into a network instead of putting it on an end device or on the end of an infrastructure. It actually exists in the network, and it's called distributed analysis. So I have a piece of test equipment out sitting out somewhere, you know, remote at a point in the network, and I can from a workstation access that. And it gives me a lot of flexibility from a technology standpoint. It sounds like with your compost hosts, that's that's what you're doing. The base is like a distributed infrastructure. So instead of having to bring all your compost back to a fixed point, you have these multiple places where people are hosting the compost facility. They get something and they can take as much as they want because they probably never use as much as you produce with the bin. But that means when you have to take it somewhere else, you can use the the, the, the composting station that's closest to the point of delivery. So that's got to help you. It's got to be the only way you could do it with bicycles versus trucks. It would be very, very hard to have to have a central location. Plus, if you had a large central location, we're in a property bubble right now. Um, it would be very, very expensive to have anything central. We'd have to truck it um, to a faraway area, and that would make pedaling it extremely difficult. Um, so having that distributed network is very important to our business model, and it also increases um, the redundancy and strength of the business. We'll lose a compost host um, two or three times a year, but we'll get them all the time. So having one compost host lost is not a blow to the business because two more will crop up in its place like a hydra. It's like having a ton of small customers versus one large one. You can afford to lose them. Uh, very, very smart from a business resiliency standpoint. It works. It does work. Why do you, I mean, you, you told us a little bit about your background, so you could probably go get a job somewhere. Yeah. So obviously you believe it's important to be able to financially support yourself today uh, with a business. And, in fact, you refer to your business as a transition business. Yeah. Want to explain that and tell folks again also why you think it's important to be taking this entrepreneurial step today? Well, the reason I call it a transition business is because in, as I alluded to before, a low energy future where fossil fuels are not cheap like they are now, this is a method that will work. It, it is also a method that will work in a high energy future. Say we find that magic um, f formula for free unlimited energy, which I believe is unlikely, um, no matter the energy future we have, Pedal to Pedal is a company that that's not going anywhere. When our two competitors have their bottom line hurt more and more every quarter by uh, fuel costs, that is affecting us not at all. Um, they can raise our their prices to to compensate for the fuel costs, and we can raise our prices, and it goes right to the profit. So, any time where you can eliminate a dependency. That 
increases your transition business. Um, that increases how much of a transition business you are. So I believe in finding business models, and there are not many of them in play right now, but finding business models that work today and work in a low energy future. Now, I have another business that I run as well, and this is um, far, a far more profitable business, and that's my web design business, Fernwood Web Design, and I can charge a hell of a lot more per hour for this web design. And this is what I did at the university. I was employed as a web designer at the university, a lot more cushy job than hauling compost around. Um, but now I do my own private practice web design. And that's essentially how I bo bolster my savings. Um, I could pay all my bills off pedal to pedal, which is quite remarkable. Um, but anything extra for me is coming from the web design business. So if you're going to have a transition business and it's not terribly profitable, it works to have an another, another small business that, that you can run, that you can, um, charge more for, I guess. And there may be a business term for that, but I don't know what it is. I think, I think, did I answer all your questions? Yeah, you did. And I mean, Part of what I look at, though, with your business models are, one is a higher-yielding business with your web design. Yeah. And But that's not as scalable because a lot of the design is you. Absolutely. Where you I can, you can hire any kid who, who believes in what he's doing and will work for minimum wage to get on a bike and haul buckets around. So it's easier to expand the business with the lower cash flow. And it, 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 so it's giving you two different levels of scalability at the same time as well. You can make a design business huge, but you may not want the headaches that go with it. You may want to take select clients and, and, and be the designer, and they're, they're paying for you, not just a website. Uh, so you can have this kind of this variable approach, and it's very similar to what I do. If you have all your money coming from one faucet and the faucet gets turned off, well, you're, to, to put it bluntly, screwed. You know, if you have if you have multiple faucets, multiple in, income streams, and one of them even doesn't fall but just just drops in in volume, you can still be sustainable. That's correct, and it's and it's the old adage that any investment advisor will tell you is to diversify. So I believe in diversifying in all aspects or many aspects of your life. I don't think my girlfriend would like me to say I'm diversifying. <laughs> <laughs> but in many aspects of your life, no, that's. That's not going to float real well um, for most of us anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, you seem like you're pretty switched on with this business stuff. So what do you think the role of business will be in the economy of the future? Because I think both of us are aware there's some major changes coming. Well, I think business gets a bad rap because a lot of business seems to have created the problem we're in now. Um, large corporations like Monsanto. Um, but if you color the entire business landscape based on the behaviors of a few companies, the banks and the, the um, large agriculture conglomerates and the pharmaceutical companies, um, then you're really not being fair because business to me is just something that people do. And I always think of the Amish when I talk about um, starting up what my sort of business, my preference of business is. And what, and the Amish do something very, very interesting. Um, 99% of Amish businesses succeed, which is far higher than 
the statistics in the non-Amish society. Now, the Amish will normally cap, they will stop growth after they are, I don't know if it's grossing or netting or earning $1 million a year. So they figure if they are taking a $1 million slice of the pie, they don't need to expand anymore because it's not going to really increase their their happiness and their joy. And if I'm making $1 million a year, I'm not looking to grow either. Um, I may be looking to sell business plan manuals and um, crop other businesses like mine uh, around the nation, but I'm not. I'm not looking for a bigger slice of the pie once I'm making that million dollars. Um, as far as the role that I think business will play in the future, um, it will play a big role, but it's not going to be the businesses you see today. Do you have any like particular ways? Do you think that maybe the business landscape will change? Oh, very much so. It will, it will change to be much more localized. We won't, I, this is all conjecture, but I don't think we're going to be seeing the large multinational conglomerate businesses having their fingers in everybody's pie that we do today. At least I hope not. I'd like to see things done on the local level. I'd like to see, we, we have, we have a, a dairy, um, a group of dairy farms called Island Farms on Vancouver Island, where my city is located, that just got bought up by a massive Canadian conglomerate. Um, I don't remember their name, but I've noticed the milk quality dropping um, of Island Farms milk. And that that trend I'd like to see in the exact opposite direction. I'd like it I'd like it to be where any farmer can market his own milk and have his own business. I want to see more businesses, not less, which is what we have today. So more business um, is is hopefully the future that I see. Yeah, I think a lot of times the part of the problem with how we got here is that a lot of the people that are business people that are small, mid-sized business people went into a model, I would say, really starting in the 80s and really heavily ramping up in the late 90s with the goal was no longer to build a company that was a legacy that you would hand down through your family. It was build it big enough so you could sell it to somebody else. And, of course, the person you're looking to sell it to has to have deep pockets and be afraid you're going to be a competitor if you keep growing or a competitor will gobble you up. So they were specifically manufacturing businesses to sell to large conglomerates. And I think today we're seeing a swing back where people are saying, that's really not what I want. I want something that I can own that becomes a legacy that's based on my beliefs and built in my community my way. And I think that community can be like what you're doing in a city, or that community can actually be a virtual online community, but it's it's people doing business with people. Well, sure. And I and I just wanted to touch on um, the the business selling aspect. If I was offered a million dollars for pedal to pedal, that would be tempting. And that's the problem, um, is that these deep-pocketed people who just want to grow, grow, grow like a cancer are have a legion of very willing business owners um, to sell out to them. And a million dollars is a lot of money, and I can do a lot with a million dollars. And I'm 24 years old, and if I had a million dollars... I think I could set up, I could set myself up for the rest of my life. I could buy land on this very expensive island. I could do a lot. So 
I, I, I completely understand the, uh, the temptation. But I think the other side of it is if you build a business to a point where it becomes fully sustainable for yourself, then you, I just had this conversation with somebody where I was being approached by a TV producer and he was talking about, you know, you, I can get you in front of two million people and, and, and on and on and on. And I'm like, you know, what, what you're doing is counter to my principles. Yeah. And what he said was, well, I have to violate my principles every day. It was actually far worse than that. I, I'm <laughs> oh. paraphrasing and making this guy not sound as bad as he really was. Oh. And I told him, I said, you know the beauty of a, of a truly sustainable business? And he asked me what, and I said, you never have to compromise your principles ever again. Mm. And I, I think that there's a case that once a business reaches a certain size, you probably don't want I think the Amish are smart. You don't want it to get too much bigger because you lose the ability to actually control it and keep your soul in it. But on the other side, you have to grow to a certain level where the business provides your needs so right. that you can resist that. Because if you're struggling and somebody says, million? And you go, no. And he goes, million two? Million six? What's it going to take? Your thought is, I'll take the money and I'll go do this again. But Fair. one thing I have to caution people with if you end up in that situation, I've seen a lot of people build a business, sell it for a lot of money, and decide they're going to go do it again and never have the magic that it took to do it the first time. There's a certain magic when you build a new idea that comes from an excitement, an anticipation, an, abs an expectation that you'll probably fail and it's worth doing it anyway. And it seems like when people try to replicate that the second time around, unless it's something new, if it's like it also ran, trying to redo the same thing, I've seen them constantly never really reach the level ever again. Mm, that's very interesting. I mean, I can tell you, like, for instance, um, I worked very closely with Mark Cuban's company, Broadcast.com, before they sold it to Yahoo. And one of their audio guys, a gentleman named Patrick Seaman, uh, walked away from that deal. He was one of the founders. He walked away with, like, $58 million or something like that. And he's had three or four major business ventures, and none of them have done really anything you would look at as a, as a knockaway home run success. And I like that he's a friend. I'm not putting him down. I'm just saying it wasn't the same as having that initial group working together on something that had never been done before. And I think there's a comfort level you have with all that money where you don't have to go out and risk it because he takes, you know, you take a 58 million and you say, okay, 18 million is risk capital. I'm going to give 10, this guy's real big with like the students with needs. So he put like 10 million in charity and you take 40 million. You say, okay, that's what I'm going to live on for the rest of my life and still give it away. And there's never that fire in the belly again that I have to make this work unless you're super cause driven, you know? Hmm. Yeah, and, and that and that is a big part of creating something new is having that that drive and that need. Um, I have to make a living from this, and that plays a big part into how we do marketing, how the business grows. Um, so I completely get that. I completely understand that. I, I put it this way: when you're small and you're you're living on what you're doing, you can't afford to be stupid. <laughs> that's right that's right you have to you have to um <laughs> it's it's it's, right. it's blood uh, so what let's talk about kind of your business what your actual output is now so uh your business is the model up to now that we've talked about is pretty simple we go out we get customers and those customers are people that want their solid waste their food waste to do something productive versus stink up a landfill uh you have guys you guys and yourself that pick it up You have compost hosts, which I think is freaking brilliant. You have people that volunteer space. They get a portion of the compost. But now you have all this compost you're producing. What do you do with that? With the compost? The compost itself, yes. The well, end product. 
as I mentioned before, we don't actually sell it, but we do. Well, I'd like to maybe sell it, but it's just, it's not pretty enough to sell yet. Um, and selling it really isn't nearly as profitable as picking it up. But currently, we sell, we donate it to urban farmers in Victoria, as I alluded to before. Um, one of these is called the City Farm. It's a quarter acre, basically downtown, um, run by a girl named Angela, and she makes a living off of that quarter acre. Um, another one of them is a spin farming group. And if you haven't talked about spin farming on your show, it's a very interesting farming model. But Actually, these, I was trying to lead you there so we could talk about it. What's that? I said, actually, I was trying to lead you there with that question so we could talk about it. Oh, yeah. Well, um, so we'll talk about it right now. These spin farmers, um, it's a co-op business model. Uh, so it's, it's not a partnership, it's a three-way. So there's, there's three people running this particular one. It's called City Harvest, and they have a network of backyards that they farm. And these backyards, much like our compost hosts, are donated um, in exchange for food. So that is a way for people in this property bubble we have in Canada for farmers urban farmers in this property bubble to get access to land to grow food. So I think they have they have a quarter acre main site and a dozen um, smaller sites based on the spin farming model, um, which kind of teaches you how to maximize yield per bed um, and make a living doing it and the benefits of a cooler and all kinds of different stuff that they've figured out for you. Um, so the rest of it goes to them. So we never have spare compost these days because our, we have, we have probably more than an acre of very high intensive food production, uh, dependent on our compost stream. So I guess that's sort of the goodwill side of our business. Well, it also seems like to me, just my marketing, you know, radar going off that sure. as many ways as you're touching the community, it seems like an ideal way to be able to say, yes, if we come pick your, your garbage up once every two weeks in a bucket for five bucks, right over there in your neighbor's yard where food's being grown that's being sold into your community is where this is going to actually end up going back to. And that's, to me, that's much more, like people want to do the right thing environmentally and all, but they also want to be able to see, touch, taste, smell, somehow be connected with it. Where, you know, we have like a renewable energy company down in Texas. I can't remember what they're called. Green, Green Mountain, I think. Uh, not the coffee people. These are energy people. But you're buying energy from the grid. They're just ensuring you that of the X percentage that's done by alternative energy, you're accounting for some portion of that. That's very, far away and somewhere else where this is, you know, your neighbor is donating their garden space so that a farmer in your community can grow this food that you can go to the farmer's market and buy, and we're picking up your food and taking it over to this other neighbor who's a compost host who then donates it back over to this neighbor who grew the food in the first place. And to me, that is, that's something I can walk out my backyard and understand how my community's benefiting fivefold from me giving you five bucks to take my banana peel away. Very much so. And you you mentioned before that it's a simple idea that we do. Um, and I think that's where it gets its power from, is it's very easy to understand this business once you're told it. And it's almost one of those duh moments. 
Like, why aren't there more of these? And we are the first. But I get people every month, often more than once a month, telling me that they would, they are inspired by our business model and they want to start one up in their own city. And I always give them as much information as they want. And I, I spend a lot of time describing how the business works, all the pitfalls that we know of that you don't want to get into, um, the legal stuff, the, the um, marketing strategies I've implemented. I, I give that all away for free to these people because I'd like to see a pedal to pedal in every city. Sure. Um, don't call it pedal to pedal. Call it something else. But <laughs> it's it's just it's a puzzle piece that fits so well in a space that's empty in many many communities. So it's a niche that's that's easily exploitable, especially for a young entrepreneur like like myself. It's it's something that you won't have any competition if you start this up in your city. And for people like me, I with a girlfriend who needs to live in the city. Um, it's a good compromise. If I want to do agriculture, I can just do a pedal to pedal in the city and, um, get an immense amount of goodwill from the people here. It's a great community building thing, as you mentioned. I cannot think of a place where it wouldn't work. I mean, just honestly, from, you know, from from my business, uh, model, uh, background and looking at a business model, I also see here, I mean, obviously we're talking about composting so permaculture you immediately start thinking about that but I actually see it as a permaculture business I think everybody focuses with permaculture on the aspects about growing stuff but permaculture is a design system and one of the keys to a permaculture design is it's not linear it's not a line it's a web an interconnected web so that if several strands in that web fail the system still works if I go fishing with a line and a hook and I catch a fish, but the line gets cut, I get no fish. If I throw a net in the water and even 40% of my, my, my lines and my net break, uh, assuming that I'm in a place where there's fish, I'm still pulling fish out and I'm pulling more than I would have with the line. And, and that's what I'm seeing here is this interconnected web model of your business, uh, where there's a ton of resiliency where you can lose any customer or any supplier and it really doesn't affect the business overall. That's right, and we actually um, started up with permaculture in mind, and that is our tagline, is we are a permaculture-based collective of bicycle-loving food security activists. Awesome. So it's right there, the fifth word of our um, of our tagline is, is permaculture. Um, so I, I, I implement a lot of permaculture design elements when I'm building maps, when I'm planning routes, when I'm planning where a good compost host will be. For example, build them in the valleys so that people don't have to bicycle uphill. When you're designing your routes, start at the top of the hill. You mentioned you can't think of a place where this business wouldn't work. I can think of one. Any city with a lot of hills like San Francisco would be absolutely miserable. But here's, here's what I would say, right? I want to minimize the use of fossil fuels. Sure. If I'm in a place where it's just not practical, because there has to be a realistic side of things. If I'm in a place that yes. just isn't practical, I can put those guys on Honda Spree scooters, and those things get about 85 miles to the gallon, um, and, and I can make this work that way. There's and, there's and always there's that wheel thing. I don't know if the guy ever took off with it. It was right when I started the show. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's a wheel that goes on the front of a bicycle that has this rotary motor in it, and it gets like 185 miles to the gallon, and what holds your gas is like this, you know, the water bottles you put on a 12-speed bike. Mm-hmm. That, that's your gas tank is one of those bottles because the the efficiency is so high. 
And even in that model, if my competitor is using a diesel truck and I'm getting 135 miles to a gallon off a bicycle and I'm only, let's say I'm only using that propulsion uh, mechanism when I'm going upgrade, sure. I can still make this work. It's not what you did, but like you said, other, it's San Francisco, I can either do, you know, moped compost or, or nothing or, you know, truck compost. Sure, sure. And that, and that's very true. And you could make it work and you could even do it without, um, gasoline if you go electric. Um, we have all hydroelectric power here. So you electric can still bicycles. call yourself fossil fuel free, technically, if you had an electrical, uh, I think, I think it's called a moped. Yeah, they have electric mopeds and they have, there's a lot of people that have done a lot of really cool stuff with electric bicycles. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you really wanted to go all out and say no fossil fuels, well, uh, if you had a solar bank charging your bicycles, now you're making your own power. Sure. Um, and, and, and if you and, salvaged broken highway signs for the solar panels, I mean, there's <laughs> all, and I think that's the big thing is that a lot of people talk themselves out of doing a business instead of talking themselves into how to do a business. That's right. That's right. Um, and I guess to, to touch on the salvaging thing, um, so much of what we have are, are salvaged. So our trailers are actually, most of them are shopping carts with bicycle wheels attached, completely recycled. Um, our compost bins are pallets, which is completely recycled. Um, we use recycled Rubbermaids for kind of leaf delivery and stuff. Um, and I, I have a fleet of bicycles that I found on the side of the road. So almost everything that we run this business off of is just free crap lying around and ubiquitous stuff. So five, the five-gallon pail is very, very ubiquitous item of this culture um, that you can that you can get for free very often in just just raiding recycle bins. So having a business like this that just uses the scraps of society, not only for the the, the, the scraps of the, the produce of society, not only the food scraps, but also we use scraps for infrastructure. I, I hope that that made sense. No, it's actually making a lot of sense. And here I thought we were going to be talking about mostly compost today, and we're talking about business, which is just awesome. But it, it takes me back to my comment earlier about how the guy that goes out to do the second business doesn't have the fire in his belly and whatever. Well, if you look at like your business, if somebody, if it wasn't cause driven in the first place, and you had just done everything you did because it's what you had to do, and then you sold pedal to pedal for two and a half million dollars, and you, you know, put away a million and a half, and you took a million into your next business venture, and you're going to do it at a bigger, better level. Well, now we don't need to go out and bu get a bucket out of the, uh, the, the recycling bin. We can, you know, order a couple pallets of them in, and we're good for a year. And right. then you're not going to do those things where even if the business becomes very, very successful, what I've found is as long as the heart and soul still in the business, the business keeps doing what made it successful. Even as you scale a business up, the new people that come into a business do things your way because, and if you're smart, this is totally off the subject, but if you're smart, folks, when you hire people in your business, unless it's a specialized position, if it's a position you're going to train somebody into, hire someone that never did a flipping thing like what you're going to have them do because then they don't bring their own ideas and they do whatever the hell you tell them exactly the way you tell them because they don't know any better. you know. And then they bring innovation without replacement. And that's very much not the way that most people look at hiring somebody. They look at whoever has the most experience. But then you're just going to butt heads, especially the smaller the business you are, the more you're going to butt heads with this new person. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to hire someone for your business, for instance, uh, I don't care if you know how to make compost. I teach you that in a day. 
right. I, I don't care if you know how to put uh, compost bins together with uh, with pallets. I can teach you to do that a day. I don't care if you know how to garden because that's not your job in the business. You'll figure that out as we go. If I'm going to look for anything with experience, you know how to ride a bike. Uh, you're good at riding a bike. You're in good shape, and you know how to Safe. fix a bike, right? Because yep. I don't yep. care how you fix the bike. As long as you fix the flat tire and keep going – But when it comes to picking things up, talking to customers, all that, I want you to do things the pedal-to-pedal -pedal way, and I don't want you to do them the Joe Blow way, so I don't want to hire Joe Blow, my competitor's guy. I want to hire the guy that's going to eventually drive around with my brand tattooed on his chest. And <laughs> that's right, and we, we get we, – we, I, I always say that we are Victoria's most loved company, and I think that that's probably true. Because people just love what we're doing. We get smiles and waves every single day, um, which really, it's very hard work doing this. And that makes it just so much easier, just having the love of the people. And the folks in trucks don't have the love of the people in the same way. It doesn't look much different than a garbage truck, and it probably doesn't smell much different either. <laughs> no, no. And you, don't see the, and you don't see the person. You see the truck. Uh, when you're on a bicycle, you see the person. Do you guys have a lot of interaction with your with your customers? And when I say that, I don't mean the people you're delivering to. I mean the people you're picking up from that are paying you. Is it just you go by and grab the bucket off the, 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 the curb, or is there a lot of interaction? There, Well, you do grab the bucket off of the curb in most cases. But there is a lot of interaction, yes. And part of that is what I just mentioned about you see the person, not the truck, when you see somebody doing pedal to pedal. Um, we have a lot of interaction with people who aren't customers who ask what we're doing or interaction with people who know what we're doing and say and just want to offer their support because we, we, we've been in the newspaper several times. We've been on TV once or twice in this, in this city. Um, so people know about us. We have immense brand recognition, um, in Victoria. So we, we probably interact. It's, it's like that figure that when you go to a farmer's market, there's 10 times as many conversations as a supermarket. When you're on a bicycle doing compost, there's 10 times as much interaction, not just with customers, but with the people of the city. There's 10 times, I'm, 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 it may even be higher than that, more interaction um, than if you're somebody in a truck. And I, I try to hire people who have, who, who can carry on a conversation Because that's what you'll be doing a lot, and that's part of the job, is carrying on a conversation with your customers and with the people of the city. Because that is our most important aspect, is that we have the love of the people of the city. That's by far our most valuable asset. And I would imagine when you do hire somebody, it's not somebody that's like, you know, man, I went to school and I've dreamed of driving a bicycle and carrying compost for my whole <laughs> life, and this is the career path I've chosen. It's more like a person that, that goes, well, yeah, I need a job and I need to get paid, but I also like, I like what you're doing, yeah. and I want to, I want to be outside. I want it to, so that they actually believe in and love what you do. Um, I remember one time when I was working for a very large corporation, uh, the sales manager had, you know, very few moments of brilliance, but this was one, said everybody, we had a big company get together, and there was about 500 people in the room. He said, everybody in sales, raise your hand. And there was like 12 of us, and so we all raised our hand. And he goes, well, first, I want you to understand, there's your infantry, and to use an old quote, never have so many owed so much to so few because they're feeding you. And then he said, but shame on every single person in this room without your hand up because you all should be in sales for this company. It shouldn't just be that dozen guys over there. 
And it sounds to me like you've built a company where you can't, if you work there, you can't help but be a salesperson. Because whenever you meet somebody, well, what do you do? And most people are like, you know, I, I program graphic chip sets. And unless I know what that means and like to do it too, I'm like, oh, okay, you work for Joe And that, it doesn't really stick with me. But if you tell me, oh, I ride around in a bicycle and pick up people's food waste for this company that does composting, and all of a sudden you're selling me, and I've asked you to. That's right. And all of our marketing, we haven't spent a penny on marketing, <laughs> except for the paper for our flyers. All of our sure. marketing is, is word of mouth. Um which is, again, the no overhead business model, which is the the business model I love. Both of my businesses have almost no overhead. I could put I could put the web design business into hibernation for 12 months because my expense is $10 a year for the domain name. So I love the, the no overhead business model. So word-to-word marketing, uh, face-to-face, word-of-mouth marketing is a huge part of that. We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be in existence without without that. That sounds like an amazing business, and uh, man, having you on the show today has just been great. Um, I, honestly, I'll tell you what, I could have you back on any time, even just to discuss business principles. And how old did you say you are, Trevor? 24. Freaking awesome, folks. So <laughs> those of you that are sitting out there going, I don't know what to do, yeah, figure it out and get it done. And I think there's there's something to be said with the uh, the ambition that a young person brings to it as well. So, I mean, personally, I'll tell you, thank you for doing this. Uh, because I think it demonstrates what can be done as a business person and as somebody with a social conscience about their community. Um, you know, I, I, you, if you've heard the show, you know that I'm not real concerned about global warming. I am concerned about destroying and polluting and poisoning the planet. Um, so regardless of you know where we fit together on that or don't fit together on that, I think what we need to see is more commonality in actually fixing problems. And, and that's what it looks to me like you're doing. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Jack. And uh, I, I mean it. I'd have you back on any time uh, you want. Uh, you want to tell people again how to get to your websites? Yeah, it's, um, well, the, the, the Pedal to Pedal business is just pedaltopedal.com, uh, P-E-D-A-L-T-O-P-E-T-A-L.com. Um, the web design business is Fernwood Web Design, and there's actually a link right at the bottom of Pedal to Pedal to that, um, fernwoodwebdesign.com. Fernwood is just the neighborhood I live in. Um, and I am willing, if anybody lo- wants to start up a business like this, um, you know, you're young, you have strong legs, this is a very, it's very hard work, so be prepared for that. But if anybody wants to start up a business like this in any city that's not Victoria, because <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want to have to. Well, you will anyway. Um, I will give you any information I can. I'll help you as much as I can in starting that out. Um, I hope someday to sell business plan manuals on how to do this. But for now, I'm just giving all this um, business advice away because I just want to see more more of these in other cities. Because currently, we're the only one in the world except for one down in Oregon that is a non-profit and it's only an arm of a community garden. But there's nobody else doing it the way we're doing it. You, so, you know, before it, I let you go, I want to talk about that with you if, if you got a few more moments. The fact sure. that you're a for-profit business, I think we, we didn't, you know, it's pretty obvious from what we said. But I think that a lot of people look at something that's really environmentally conscious 
really doing something good for a local community and almost always thinking, well, that has got to be a nonprofit or a low profit uh, environment where you're actually able to pay your bills with this. Uh, you're able to make a living and you're proving that profit can be, uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, profit can be noble. That's right. Noble is a very good word for it. And I think the fact that people think that we are volunteers is horrible. And I think the fact that people think that environmentally conscious people can't make a living is terrible. Um, which is why I find it so important to be exporting this model, this profitable model, um, to as many people as possible because it's not a sustainable business, it's a regenerative business, which I think Jeff Lawton was the one who made the um, differentiation, or it may have even been you, um, that sustainable is not good enough at this point, um, that we need people who are actually regenerative, so the opposite of consumptive. So we are a regenerative business model, and people pay us to do it, and it's it's amazing to, to be able to make a living doing this because it lets me focus on it. So I don't have to focus on some crap job at the coffee shop so I can pay my bills. I can give all my focus to this work, which is not something that most environmental people can do. They either have to be independently wealthy like Mr. Al Gore or they have to have a second job. Yeah, where if you can actually put your heart and soul into it, you can actually make a difference. And the regenerative thing, I think I've talked about it, but I think Lawton is the source of the term. And the way I've always looked at it is if you're doing anything meaningful in the world, you're creating students, either directly or indirectly. But there are things springing up in the world around what you've done where most business people are. I, I hate to put it this way. And most is not the right word. But a lot of small business people, especially in their first venture, the only word I can use to describe it is asshole. Uh, they really are <laughs> because they get all upset that somebody's done something emulating them. And to me, I'm like, you know that that means you've actually succeeded You've done something so well that someone else out there is taking your model and making it work somewhere else and reaching people you would never have reached anyway. And you're so wrapped up in this world of negative greed, which is, you know, fearing losing something you never had in the first place. Uh, they're not taking your customers away from you. They're making a larger market for us all. And to me, that is what we should all be striving for in a business. Every time I see somebody start up a podcast and then they tell me, hey, I used to listen to your show and I'm doing my own, I'm not like, oh, man, I can't believe you compete with me. I'm like, that freaking rocks. And I I think there's people that are so worried that someone's going to emulate them more successfully. And I'll just say this. If you can emulate me more successfully, go ahead. Um, because you'll build a, a market of 50,000. I'm sure some of those will fall over to me too, and we'll, we'll all grow together with this. And I think like you said earlier, there's a cap on where I want my business to be. And you probably have one too, where if I have to expand the business at the expense of uh, my own comfort, I'm as big as it needs to be. Well, that's right. And I, I don't ever want to be one of those people who work 70 hours a week. So the cap for me is how much time am I having to spend on this You ain't business. kidding. And if it's more than 40, well, then I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just, I, I'm just very, I love my leisure time. I love my downtime. So that's my primary motivator. Well, good um, for you, man, because when I was your age, you know, I was, I was putting in 80 hours a week and I was proud of it. 
And, and now I look back at that and go, you were so stupid. Yeah. You really were. You weren't getting anything in return uh, compared to what you get now. And I guess I learned a lot, and a lot of the life experience is helpful and all. But, you know, there were weeks where I worked 100. Uh, there was the longest week I ever worked was uh, when I was with MCI. We had a hurricane that we had to, to kind of pick the pieces up after, and I worked 111 hours. And that's when I learned there's 146 or 144 hours, something like that, in a week. And it was because I did the math to see, well, how many hours did I actually sleep this week? Yeah. And I used to be proud of that. Now I think that's just dumb. I really do. I don't think it makes sense. And I think that if you own your own business and you do that, you're really dumb. You know. And I hate to put anybody down, but it's just like... That's why you hire people. That's exactly why you hire people. Or it's why you throttle your business to a point of comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like the Amish. Build yeah. your business the Amish way because the Amish will transition and are transitioning without even noticing what's going on around them. So build your businesses like the Amish. The Amish are incredible business people, and that's what that's something people don't know about the Amish. And we up here have we what an have ebook the, title, right? Build your business <laughs> the Amish way: the secret to a ninety-nine percent successful business launch. <laughs> Somebody's writing that right now. They're, they, they just heard that, and they're out there, and keyboards already flying. So well, go with it, man. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't believe that. That's that's phenomenal. A 90 percent success rate is phenomenal. Yeah. It, 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 it's it's mind boggling because more than half don't make it a year. Oh yeah, and restaurants, 10 percent make it, and 90 percent fail. After the first three years, I think is the yeah, that these numbers are probably even higher in today's economy. Well, I was actually tried to uh, be talked into slash suckered into investing in a restaurant at one time, and basically they were looking for money to save the business. And when we got down to brass tacks, it was well, we have to save this one and build four more successful ones, and then there'll be a profit margin. <laughs> I'm like, that's not that's not a successful business. No. <laughs> No, and 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 part of the problem um, of starting up your own business is that people don't have, I guess, people don't want to take a risk on an idea that isn't already being done. And if you try to do something that's already being done somewhere, it's going to be a lot harder for you. I think it was it was your show. You were talking about capturing that market share. That is how people start up businesses. They try to capture existing market share. But what you've done with your podcast and what I've done with Pedal to Pedal is create a new market that didn't exist before. So if when you, you create that, a market, you own it. And that's right. You know, that, that's just reality. You own the market because you're the one that created it. And anything anybody else does is an emulation of what you've already done. That's right, and I love it when people emulate us, and I can't wait until somebody does it successfully. And the remarkable thing is that so many people want to start one up, but I haven't seen one except for one in Kelowna, which was only done for as a seed project for a spin farming venture. I haven't seen one done to the same level as we've done it. And that's, I, that's I, where I got people with it. My, it was my idea first. Ideas are nothing, actually. <laughs> that's right. Ideas are cheap. I have ten ideas a day and zero of them get implemented, or maybe one get implemented. Yeah. Ideas are a dime a dozen. You know, we have seven billion people on this planet, and they all are having ideas. But it's a matter of implementing them. And as as um, as a, another guy who was interviewing me for the paper said, an idea is one percent inspiration. And Jack, do you know what the other ninety nine percent is? Perspiration. Perspiration. 
Yeah, and absolutely. That's, and we do all perspiration with this with this job. I think that came from Edison. I have no idea. I think that's who it was. Either Edison or Ford is the guy that originally came up with that. But that's that's a great quote, one I've always loved. Well, again, man, Trevor, thanks for being with us today on the show. Well, thanks, Jack, and I'll be on again anytime you need somebody to talk about business. Absolutely, love to have you back.、Uh, I've actually thought about maybe in the future putting together a couple successful folks into kind of a business roundtable discussion. Would love to maybe have it on something like that. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, folks. Well, with that, we're ready to wrap up, and hopefully, you learn not just about sustainable、uh, gardening and pro- uh, uh, composting today, to learn something about building a business in a sustainable way as well. With that, this has been Jack Spirico, along with Trevor Van Hemert, 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 helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Revolution.